knowing that on one level, maybe I could do the thing. So the people that are struggling with this, they have that too. So you being able to support them in believing themselves and in listening to their body and maybe helping them track because tracking is a big part of it. But that would be a way to be supportive of like really helping them come to accept. One of the treatments that they used to recommend, I mean, by used to, I mean, recently, this is still a little bit controversial. Like I said, it was that graded exercise that now they are not recommending for people, even long COVID with post-exertional malaise, it can be counterindicated. Right. To push yourself. Meaning to push yourself. Like- right. That this is not a good idea when you have it. It's, it can make you worse. But also there was a CBT therapy that they were really pushing and saying that there was evidence for. That's Again, the controversy is that that was not good science. You can certainly look into that yourself. But I think where people are settling is the CBT that they're talking about, CBT meaning cognitive behavioral therapy, was helping convince them that it was in their head right? Helping them push past their own internal barriers, that also is contraindicated because in fact, that's not the case. Now, CBT therapy that helps someone accept what's happening and understand it and get more in touch with their body and listen, that's different. And that's certainly welcome. When you hear people push back about CBT therapy for this, it's the kind of therapy where basically the therapist is really trying to convince you that it's in your head. It's terrible. Welcome to Therapist Uncensored. Building on decades of professional experience, this podcast tackles neurobiology, modern attachment, and more in an honest way that's helpful in healing humans. Your session begins now with Dr. Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. Let's take a break and talk about our sponsor, ZocDoc. I have found ZocDoc extremely helpful both in my professional world and my personal world. You know, finding a doctor or a psychiatrist that's available on insurance plans and highly recommended can almost seem impossible. You know, we have to compromise on so much in our life, our work schedule, navigating parenting differences, et cetera. But when it comes to our health and finding the right doctor, there should be no compromise. So don't go back to that one doctor who makes you feel uncomfortable or doesn't take you as seriously as you deserve. Instead, I really want you to check out ZocDoc. It's a place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, prioritize your health. You can search by location, availability, and insurance. So literally, you don't really have to make compromises because you have so many options. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book them online. So it's really great. You have tens of thousands of top rated doctors that are patient reviewed and the average wait time for booking a ZocDoc is about 24 to 72 hours, which that's amazing. So you can almost get a same day appointment. Finding a psychiatrist sometimes can be impossible, especially in different states where you're not as familiar with that. And you really can do it through ZocDoc. So go to ZocDoc.com slash TU and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. And by doing it through our website and adding slash TU, you are really showing support for our podcast. So that's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash T-U, ZocDoc.com slash T-U. Hey everyone, welcome back to Therapist Uncensored. I'm Ann Kelly, 
And before we jump in today's episode, uh, we have an exciting announcement. We have a conference that Sue and I are putting on this coming May 4th, and we're really, really psyched about it, aren't we? We could not do it without our partner organization, Austin and Connection, who is sponsoring us. Near and dear to our heart, austinandconnection.org. Check them out. But what we are just really thrilled about is we're taking all the stuff that Ann and I have learned in clinical practice over the past 30 years. That's a long time. <laughs> if you times that by two, <laughs> because both of our you know separate clinical experiences, everything we've learned on the podcast, everything we've learned from all of our expert guests and all the research that we did for the book, and we're going to bring it to you live. We invite you to join us from wherever you are. We know that many people won't necessarily be able to make it in person. But if you can, this is the event to come to. That's true. Some people have asked, you know, when's the event for us to actually fly in? And if you can and you have the resource to do it, we would love for this to be the one to do it. We're going to also have a, a meet and greet Friday night. It's more than a meet and greet. Well, that's true. That's true. It, it's, it's, our, it's, it's our book launch party. It, we, the book <laughs> launch is Friday night. And so we're going to have a gathering that should be a lot of fun, a lot of ways to connect to people. And then Saturday is a full day, all day conference. And another thing about the conference, and then we'll move on, but it is going to be different. And we'll continue to share details about that as we go, as it gets closer. But I'm just, it's not going to be just your ordinary conference. We're going to specifically do a deep dive into modern attachment, how to apply it, weaving in relational neuroscience, but also really, really incorporating systems and structures that impact how we feel, both our development, how we grow and how we see ourselves in the world, but also our kind of more immediate sense of security in the world. So I'm really proud of that. And I think that that's really different than anything that's out there right now. Well, we're also going to have some group portions of it. So active participation, not just sit and receive, but an active participation. I'm also really excited about the lunch component. Are we going to give it all away already? Okay. Well, I okay. guess we can. Okay. We, no, no, no. Just, okay. just that. So, not just, so, you know, we're going to have lunch together. I mean, you're not mandated to. You certainly can go off site. But that's too much togetherness. You get to take off. Totally get that. But lunch is included in the ticket. And then right after lunch, you'll have an option. One is to just rest and do nothing, of course. But as part of the conference, inspired by the book, Lifting Heavy Things, which is a book by a person in the physical personal training field about using strength training as part of her therapy and part of her treatment of trauma and being able to use that with clients. We are going to have a certified personal trainer join us who is amazing and works really holistically and you're going to absolutely love her. And she's going to lead us through some strength exercises in different way of embodying somatic work and connecting us to our bodies and connecting us to the strength that it's going to take for us to continue to do this practice of secure relating. That's one option. And then the other option is we have another professional who will be leading a mindfulness practice at the same time. So all kinds of goodies coming at you. Those of you hearing the word strength training, we're not going to be bringing barbells or anything yeah. like that. It's <laughs> yeah. going to be something pretty accessible, um, doable and accessible, but meaningful, which is helpful to like bring that kind of thing to an everyday life that's really doable and accessible to everybody. 
And so for anybody from out of town, we will have some welcoming. And then on Sunday, I think we've got some volunteers that are going to be continuing to do cool things so that we want to help you all meet each other. And again, do what we say we want to do, which is build community. So if you are a listener and you are coming in from, if you happen to be coming in from out of town, go ahead and shoot an email to Catherine at therapistuncensored.com just that we know that you're a listener and that you'll be coming in from out of town. Actually, go ahead and send it to info at. Okay, that's a good idea. Info at. And then the link should be live by the time that this goes live. It should be live. So go to therapistuncensored.com. And it'll probably be backslash conference, but you'll you'll see it on our page, therapistuncensored.com. Remember, it's not backslash. We got corrected oh, on yeah, that. Slash, it's just slash. 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 Maybe it'll be called modern attachment or conference. I don't know. But you'll see you'll see it on the page. Yeah, it'll be distinct. Yes. All right. And again, thanks to Austin and Connection for this wonderful opportunity. So let's dive into today's episode. So we have personally close to us experienced somebody that we love dearly with long COVID. And it's very, very relevant in our hearts. And I don't know anyone who can take a topic and dive more deeply than you, Sue Marriott. (laughs) When she gets her mind to something and she cares about you and something's going on, you're going to know more about it than anybody else I think I can imagine knowing. And we decided that we wanted to bring this topic to our listeners because it's so relevant. Long COVID is impacting, they estimate about 10 to 30% of people who actually contract COVID are likely to have long COVID symptoms. And some people won't even know that's what it is. So we really feel like it's a very, very relevant topic and how it affects us emotionally and physically, as well as socially. So we want to talk about it today. Yeah, totally. And Anna's right. I deal with stress by learning. (laughs) So I have read probably more than my fair share, but certainly I'm no expert. And as we're sharing some of this, you know, we're not medical doctors, not neuroscientists, concerned people and uh, both personally in our life and also professionally. So this is in stereo for sure. So I care about it a lot. So long COVID is affecting a lot of people. Let's start by talking about what we mean when we're talking about long COVID. You know, it can manifest in all sorts of different ways, right? It can manifest for some individuals with severe respiratory issues, heart palpitations, muscle pain and aches, migraines. Even digestive issues and voice. It can affect your voice and your vocal cords, strangely, and ringing in your ears. So this is a quick aside. I promise I won't derail us too much. But one of the exciting things I thought, the light bulb moments that I had in reading about some of this, was the implication potentially of the vagus nerve. And many of you neuro nerds out there, our friend, the vagus nerve, <laughs> have heard us talk about it a lot. And you just know about it because of your probably your somatic work and things like that. But it is, uh, you know, the wandering nerve, the 10th cranial nerve, I believe, largest nerve in the body. But what's important about it is that it innervates everything from the brain, goes all the way over your face, your neck, your ears, your throat, all your big organs in your chest and your gut, and so on. And it is a major highway sending information back and forth from the body to the brain. And so if COVID ends up affecting the vagus nerve, That's why all these different systems might be impacted. 
so I think there's a lot of those kinds of like, you know, they say that if this was a murder scene, that there would be lots of clues. There's no shortage of clues. But today, rather than all of those subsystems and all of those subcategories, what we're particularly interested in and focusing on because of the psychological impact is the many millions of people that are impacted by this post-exertion malaise, PEM, as they describe it. It's this very severe fatigue that happens with long COVID. Well, very significant fatigue that happens with just the slightest exertion. It doesn't take much for many people to feel this like deep sense of just the gas going out of your tank. Or gravity being turned up a hundred times, or people have described it like jet lag. You know, if you think about like, if you don't have it and you have jet lag and you remember how miserable that can be where you're falling asleep in the middle of the day, you cannot keep your eyes open for anything or that you're wide awake in the middle of the night, like, like your system is off. But normally you get restful sleep and you're able to restore. And so another symptom is non-restorative sleep. And I can tell you, as we've dove into this and, and become more familiar with it, it's just about every morning I'm waking up just being grateful that my body knows how to go to sleep, keeps me asleep, wakes me up at the right time, and I feel refreshed. And for folks that are struggling with this post-exertion malaise and this chronic fatigue, then that's the Achilles because there's without restorative sleep, then you wake up just as jet lagged, just as hungover, just as mentally cluttered as you were when you went to sleep, which is terrible. Then that can be so discouraging. That's one reason we want to talk about it today is to help develop compassion and care, whether this is you or somebody you love to understand. And this is not just new to COVID. Our understanding and focus on this kind of chronic fatigue has significantly gone up as COVID has been so widespread, but there's all sorts of different kind of chronic fatigue syndromes out there that people struggle with all the time. Right. And it hasn't gotten any attention. Or not enough, right? It has has gotten very little attention because it is very difficult to treat. It's very difficult to diagnose. And, you know, it's very easy to blow off and to not believe because it's even the term chronic fatigue is we just assume that we know what that means that because we all have felt fatigued, but that this is something very different. As a matter of fact, there's a movement to really focus on calling it ME instead of CFS. So ME is myalgic encephalomyelitis. And then the other version is encephalopathy. But basically what that means, myalgic meaning pain, and then the other meaning inflammation of the brain and spinal cord and possibly the myelin. And that evokes a very different feeling and reaction than just chronic fatigue. So it's really important. So it's you'll hear it referred to as ME slash CFS. So this is a empathy development is that we want you to really focus on the ME, you know, that this is really affecting so many organs in the body. And as a matter of fact, there's a new article that just came out. You want to speak to that? Well, it was on NPR, and it is based on studies done in South Africa and the Netherlands that have been able to point to some really specific outcomes that happen for long, specifically in these cases, the long COVID patients. They compared long COVID with patients that have recovered fully from COVID 
in significant exercise. They gave them an exercise for like 15 minutes. Right. Basically, there's a plethora of biomarkers. So in general, what happens is everybody exercises and then you get everything from oxygen consumption. But they're even in this particular study, they were doing muscle biopsies so they could look at the physical muscle tissue. And there were many very significant findings of it. But then they would compare it and then they would exercise again. And for the folks with long COVID that had this fatigue, those markers were all over the place. It was absolutely clear and obvious on the second round. They had cell death in the muscle tissues, atrophy, and really could point to reasons why these individuals had trouble converting oxygen into their energy. They even found tiny blood clots that increase tiny blood clots in the tissues, right? In the muscle walls. That's the really scary stuff is that, again, this is all just forming, just coming out. We, you know, the scientists are working really hard to figure this out. But if that, that is true, that the blood clots weren't in the vascular system, which is where you would expect it, they were in the muscle itself. What that means is that those clots somehow are getting from inside the little tube of the veins and the arteries, it's moving through the wall into the muscle, which is really scary because if it can do it in the muscle, they're speculating that it can do it in other tissues in the body too. So this is alarming, but it's also potentially gives researchers a direction to go in. All of this to say, one, that it's hitting the public press in a much larger way the reality that the biomarkers of the, of this being a very real chronic illness to be taken very seriously, both from work standpoint, uh, health standpoint, all those things, research standpoint. But we shouldn't need that. We should be just believing people when they say that they're sick. And that is an important message from the community, which is, yes, we're, you know, those markers and research is great, but also we don't want to be propagating the idea that until you have a fever that you're sick or until that you can show it on a blood test that it's not real, that that isn't true, that we want to listen to our bodies and listen to the person who's telling us about their body. That's a very important message today. Very, very important message. And we will link some of these um, resources to the show notes. So don't take our scientific description of what's going on for any stretch. That is not our expertise. But what we do want to do is to talk about the stigma and the emotional pain that happens with these kind of diseases, whether it's long COVID or whether it is CFS. Or- ME, CFS, fibromyalgia, exactly. lupus, Lyme disease. There is so much stigma that happens related to this that can be just heartbreaking. And it's so much in our culture. If you can't point to it and see it and you can't fix it, you know, then there's like, come on, get up. And that used to be the theory around this. They were like, oh, with long COVID, the advice was, you know, you're just been tired. You need to work yourself back up, build up your stamina. And they have actually discovered that is quite the opposite. And this research really shows them a little bit about why that kind of exertion is actually leading to a rebound and actually a decline in functioning, not an improvement. Yeah, it's a huge controversy. But actually, it's a really important point, Anne, because it mirrors what happens to us psychologically when we don't believe. And we're in that boat. And as a matter of fact, If you're struggling with something like this, you often also probably don't believe. Like we have a a human tendency to question ourselves. Like 
you know, when we call in sick, for example, at work, there's a part of us that's like, well, you know, I'm not so sick. I could go to work. Yeah. How sick am I? I have enough energy to go and get up and watch my favorite show. Could I sit in that meeting? Exactly. Or like you think about the day and you're like, you know, you might think, you're like, I don't feel that great. And then you think about what's going to happen. And then based on what you think about what's going to, you know, like, oh, no, then you get up and you go. Or you're like, oh, never mind. I'm rolling over and going. So that self-doubt is in all of us. In the medical community, this argument, one of the positions, and this is what the great, this is what you were talking about with the graded exercise, which is that the old theory was, well, yeah, you got sick. And so then you got deconditioned because you weren't moving, you were in bed. And then because you're deconditioned, then when you get up, you're tired. And so then you want to go back to bed, but then you get depressed, which then makes you want to see, like, in other words, that, that you're in this cycle that is, you know, quote, in your head, meaning if we could push you enough and get you moving and get you conditioned again, then you're going to feel better. And in many, many cases, that's actually true. If your body's functioning normally and it's oxygen delivery and it's recovery, absolutely get moving, push yourself a little bit, no pain, no gain, all of that makes sense. But what they're discovering in this case is the exact opposite, which is that to push someone, as a matter of fact, those studies you just mentioned, those poor long COVID folks that had the symptoms that were pushed to measure, they had the negative impact and the uh, backlash. Like it's actually harmful to push past these, these things. But my point psychologically though, is that there's a group of scientists that are really standing firm and no, this is about deconditioning. You just have to condition. And then there's these other group of people saying that, no, you have to believe them. And they're pointing now to these biological markers in order to convince them. So it's like they're having to use a left brain argument to say, here, let me prove it to you that we need to listen to these patients. And it just mirrors, I think, some of what goes on within us psychologically of like, when your neighbor gets robbed or when something bad happens to someone close to you, typically a very natural human reaction is to think something very quiet and privately like, well, they didn't have a security system or kept their windows open a lot, which is, has this also this embedded, if they'd have done something different, if they would, they should have known better <laughs> a little bit. Well, no, yeah. but, but, but the idea is it's not so much like blaming, but it's more of distancing. Like, if I could do this, then that won't happen to me. It's an unconscious psychological defense to, to distance us from this helpless, tragic event. They weren't wearing a seatbelt or whatever it is, right? That we have naturally a way when pain happens to kind of tell a little narrative of how that there's some attribute control to it, like that that can't happen to me. And so that happens when it comes to chronic illness, because the first thing that happens when somebody says, you know, we say we have a family member with long COVID, there are a hundred thousand solutions given to us and it's with all in love and all in good intention. And I've done it too. So this isn't, we're more talking about the psychological impulse to know what's going on, to understand, and then to want to help. And like, here, this is the solution, which is wonderful and beautiful. And again, we, it's all makes sense, but we're trying to look at the more subtle underlying thing which is, oh, this is something I know and understand. If you did this thing, you would feel better. What we're saying, that's more about our need to feel some sense of psychological control than like it's much more difficult to stay in the absolute helplessness and unknowing of this kind of strange multi-system disease that who knows why one person gets it and one person doesn't. It's a more subtle point that we're trying to make here on the podcast today around being 
a little bit more conscious of our impulse to think we want to give answers and instead invite you into this much more vulnerable place of not knowing and listening and hearing and asking more questions and being with someone, you know, rather than trying to get it fixed right away. And what you're hearing with that amazing input is what we talk about in general, right? How hard it is to stay connected to people just where they are at and being aware of what gets stirred in our own body, our assertion to need to be helpful, to be caring, to not be helpless, and how much we project into other people what's going on inside us and miss the connection with the person themselves because of what's going on, the loud, loud voices inside our body or our head and the noise that we ignore to try to be helpful and encouraging or to judge and think this person is just like, if they would try a little harder, they could get out of bed or, you know, they're just playing this off, you know? So if this is something you can relate to experiencing post COVID and you hadn't maybe attributed to the fact that you may have literally physiological inflammation. And again, we are not trying to say, we know the causes of this. This is not our expertise. So this is the research we're reading, but really consider the fact that what may be happening to your body is real. And if you think about it too, those of you that have this, that's not you, but somebody in your life and they've had good days, you get hopeful. Oh, good. We're on the other side of this. And then they have, you know, one of the days you're speaking about to kind of pay attention to how it feels emotionally to you, because you may be putting unconscious pressure on this person to wait, you were better. What happened? What happened? Let's, let's track it down. Cause we got to fix that. And that puts a lot of pressure on both of you to think that there's a specific answer out there that needs to be solved. And the effect of that could be quite detrimental. All right, let's take a quick break. I want to talk about our sponsor, Dipsy. So Therapist Uncensored is about the whole person, mind and body, caring for your whole self. And we want to promote you staying awake in a present way. And our sponsor, Dipsy, is one way we have found that you can keep your imaginative and sexual self alive and active all by yourself or with a partner. So Dipsy is an app that's full of short, sexy audio stories. And what we really love is that they're designed by women for women. So it really speaks to a certain voice. And they have hundreds of stories that come alive with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters, whether it's about a second chance romance, a vacation fling, there's all sorts of things in their catalog. And you can search and discover things new about yourself or share the app with a partner or partners and discover more about them as well because they have new content every week. So for the listeners of our show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash TU. So that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash TU. So dipsystories.com slash TU. Give it a try. It's such an, a different adventure if you've never done that before. I think that you could get a lot out of it, again, just personally for your alone time or keeping things alive in your relationship. Let's take a break for a second. I want to thank our sponsor, Cozy Earth, for helping us bring this episode to you today. 
And I have loved Cozy Earth as a sponsor. We've talked so many episodes about the importance of sleep on our mental health and our physical health. It impacts almost all areas of our lives, including the health of our relationship. So doing anything you can to promote a good night's sleep or rest is important, which is also paying attention to the light in your room and the temperature and comfort of your bedding. So we have had our Cozy Earth bedding for over a year now, and it has really made a huge difference in the comfort of my sleep. It's really soft and comfortable, but it's also made from ethically sourced premium viscose from the highly sustainable bamboo. So it's really naturally temperature regulating. It's breathable. You can feel the difference when you sleep on it. The nice thing is you could try it out actually for a hundred day trial and sleep on them every night for a hundred nights, washing them, et cetera. And if you don't love them, you can return them for a hundred percent refund. But I can tell you that what I've noticed is as you wash them over time, they just become softer and softer. So give them a try. I think you will really, really love it. And you'll also help support our podcast. So if you've never tried Cozy Earth, I've got awesome news. You can save up to 35% off Cozy Earth right now. But hurry, this offer won't last. Go to CozyEarth.com and enter our promo code TU at checkout for up to 35% off on your first order. That's CozyEarth.com, promo code TU. All right, let's jump back into the episode. It's been interesting, too, because physicians are people, too, and we don't like to not understand something. And it's a challenge to join someone in helplessness when your whole career, your whole life is built on helping people. So that gets really tricky. And as a matter of fact, we in some of the treatment that I've seen and with the, we have a local long COVID center here in Austin, Texas, it takes forever to get into it. But even once you get into it, the physicians will tell you that they used to follow patients more closely, but it was too hard on the physicians and the patients to have visits too close together and not be able to see change yet. So they put the sessions far apart, partly to take care of the physician and the nurses and the like it, that it's very disheartening when you pour everything into it and you try. But the changes that we see in this MECFS or the post-COVID that looks like that are very, very slow. You know, there is hope for sure. Yeah, there is improvement over time. Right. But the, but more that I think the point I'm making is what kind of what you're saying, which is that it's very hard to just sit with the passivity and the helplessness. We really want to know and we really want to help. And that definitely affects the medical care and it affects how these patients are treated. And hopefully in hearing this podcast, we can widen your window of both believing the person and having compassion and like being able to put yourself in their shoes. When I think about, honestly, I was saying the other day, like I fall asleep pretty easy and I sleep all night and I wake up feeling pretty good. I need to every morning that I wake up, be grateful that all the magic that happens when your rhythm, circadian rhythm and all those things are working. And that might not always be the case. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. I, that's how I have developed deeper, like even the example I talked about, I think about the gentleman that I spoke with. And I think about in my own personal experience, I feel very grateful for the amount of energy that I just hold. I guess you and I actually hold a lot of just natural energy. And I feel so much more exponentially grateful that I have that. And I think about the times the days, and I think everybody can relate to that, where you're so fatigued for whatever reason, you didn't sleep, you're jet lagged. 
And I could think, oh, I can't wait to go to bed. I can't wait to sleep because I know what it's like post this to, to wake up and feel good. And that generally is what happens for me, right? And so if I stop to really put myself in the place of people experiencing this and they don't get to wake up, they don't get to look forward actually to going to bed to wake up and to feel refreshed and that they are likely going to feel this, some people for a couple months, some people for six months, some 12, some 18 months, some longer, that that kind of fatigue, and if you stop to really put yourself in that place, it can help you really connect and feel empathy and not do well. You know, have you tried this? You know, think about that. Think about our tendency, we spoke about that earlier, to try to be helpful and to show our care through giving advice or my friend had this and tried this. And when you have that kind of fatigue and everybody that comes close to you has this solution, it kind of implies if you would be doing something different, like you were mentioning earlier, if you would just do something different, you wouldn't have this. And we don't mean to imply that, but that's what we do. And to slow down and go, oh, that's not the case. This is real. This is a post-infection and brain inflammation. And brain inflammation in your body. And to show, wow, that is hard. And what we we talk about in, in our podcast about all sorts of other ways of connecting to the people we care about. We want to really promote that here, that secure relating to people going through this is really allowing yourself to imagine the experience for you and to connect in what their experience is. Because it's the it's different for everyone. We're, we're talking about one particular manifestation, but there is a lot of different manifestations of this. So the core goal here is to listen and trust and believe somebody rather than to project ourselves into it and then start going by our own experience, which impairs our ability to go, how is it for you? And what is it that you need? And really listening. And I think we also have to touch base with a lot of our Western culture, judgment and stigma on people that are slower, whose physical manifestation is to slow down and our stigma of that and our pressure to get moving. And the fact that we can't point to particular things makes it really hard for those in the workforce. Like when you have a particular event and you're out for a week, your boss expects you to be back and be back to normal. And when you have this kind of disability and people don't understand it, it's an excuse to have judgment and push people out and not have care or provide the kind of support that people need to keep their jobs when they're experiencing this. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a large ME community. One of the things that has been helpful for the some of the folks that I'm aware of that uh, are struggling with this are these uh, peer groups. There's Facebook groups. There's ways to connect. I liked what you said, though, about listening to the patient. I'm calling it patient, family member, or... Listening to the person struggling with this. Yes. Listening to the person struggling with this. Thank you. That's That feels a lot better, actually. And asking them what would support look like for you. Mm-hmm. And let them guide you. And again, yeah, to believe them. And to ask them, you know, I think about it. It's hard for me, you know, if I've had something go on and somebody else has a similar thing. I can remember when I was running and I had an injury and then I was able to get better through this one way. And every time somebody had it, oh, let me tell you, right? Let me tell you about this great thing that I went through. It's tempting because we care. But to go, I have had some experience. Are you interested? Do you have any energy to hear? Because just my experience. And to be open and say, no, thank you. But thanks for sharing, but no, and go, I got it, right? Rather than pushing forward and giving the advice without it being solicited or welcomed. Totally. And as a matter of fact, probably the way, another way to be supportive 
would be to know that the person who is struggling with it also sometimes doesn't believe themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Like if you think about when you call in sick or something, I keep saying that, but yeah, you probably could have gotten up and gone to work. And there's a part that is tracking like, you know, I could have gone, to, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit leaning into this sickness. Well, even like, I always like to have a fever <laughs> if I'm sick because I can prove that like, okay, I have a fever. So now I can rest. <laughs> that is so true. That it, it, it really, particularly to you, you have a really hard time trusting that you're sick and leaning into it without this feeling of, yeah. Right. That I'm making it up or yeah, yeah. That, that's directly related to my history, but it's true. And I think that other people experience the same thing of like, knowing that on one level, maybe I could do the thing. So the people that are struggling with this, they have that too. So you being able to support them in believing themselves and in listening to their body and maybe helping them track because tracking is a big part of it. But that would be a way to be supportive of like really helping them come to accept. One of the treatments that they used to recommend I mean, by used to, I mean, recently, this is still a little bit controversial. Like I said, it was that graded exercise that now they are not recommending for people, even long COVID with post-exertional malaise, it can be counterindicated. Right. To push yourself. meaning To push yourself. Right. That this is not a good idea when you have it. It can make you worse. But also there was a CBT therapy that they were really pushing and saying that there was evidence for that's Again, the controversy is that that was not good science. You can certainly look into that yourself. But I think where people are settling is the CBT that they're talking about, CBT meaning cognitive behavioral therapy, was helping convince them that it was in their head, right? Helping them push past their own internal barriers. That also is contraindicated because, in fact, that's not the case. Now, CBT therapy that helps someone accept what's happening and understand it and get more in touch with their body and listen, that's different. And that's certainly welcome. When you hear people push back about CBT therapy for this, it's the kind of therapy where basically the therapist is really trying to convince you that it's in your head. It's terrible. Right. And if you just push yourself and don't give in, there's this whole thing of don't give in, right? Right. That's right. And and if you don't give in and you push yourself, but I really taking time to educate myself, which is a a fourth or a half as much as you've educated yourself, but a lot more than I was educated a year ago when I was having my biases, is to really understand that that kind of push past the pain is actually so counterproductive to this and could create a lot more rebound and detrimental long-term effects. So doing the kind of CBT to say, what is it like for you to really listen to your body and to trust it and to communicate with it? And that that in and of itself, and think how much of us in general could learn that to quit getting out of that push past the pain thing that we promote in our culture in general, to really listen to yourself. And then this fear that if you listen to yourself, you're going to cause some kind of weakness in you and how much that is not actually true. Absolutely. And I love what you were just saying. This is actually a really important thing that I've learned, which is, you know, we were just kind of working on developing our empathy and putting ourselves in the shoes of not being able to get restorative rest. You know, then you feel all this like, oh, that feels terrible, which can cause us to sort of pity or feel like less than. And here's the thing. In the world of disability, one of the ways, again, I can't represent this, but I am learning about it, that they really talk about is a lot of these folks have been movers and shakers and runners and goers, 
And there's stories of, I had to slow down and I had to listen to myself. And I began to look around and see all these crazy people running around and not knowing that they're not in touch with their bodies, not knowing what they're missing by being still and slow. So this kind of, it's, it's a different ability that you tap into with this slowness. For example, maybe more spirituality, maybe grappling with who am I if I can't produce those kinds of big, deeper questions that wouldn't be gotten to and explored without this. So I'm not saying that it's a good thing. It's not something somebody would choose, but it's more about like, don't assume that you know what it's like for that person. And maybe some of the things that they are gaining from it. And that helps us kind of be humble around like, well, that could be us tomorrow. You know, we, we get restorative sleep today, but who knows what's going to happen in our future of abilities that we have now that we won't have then. It'll happen, even just with aging. And when you said earlier, it probably isn't something we wouldn't choose. That actually isn't always the case. I think about how I could relate to that is everything that so many people went through just with COVID and the isolation and the pulling out of our everyday pace. There was a loss in that for many of us, but then there was a huge gain in that we questioned the kind of pace that we kept in the world. And a lot of outgoing effect of that where people did change their lives. And I think to your point, when people have had to go through all sorts of, if they've lost their sight, their hearing, or this kind of energy level, they gain such insight that we don't have. They have all sorts of wisdom. So I think your point, I love that about instead of having a pity, oh, I'm sorry for you, let's get you back to where you were before, is wait, let's listen to where you are now connect to that and learn from it. What's it like? We could all learn to get out of this chronic pace of feeling guilty if we slow down, which is part of the effect of this, right? They have to slow down. They don't have a choice. Removing the guilt and also like, wow, what are you getting from that? And us learning from that instead of assuming that we're over here where we should be and we have to get them back there. It's, oh, wow, having to really slow down welcomes all sorts of different parts of seeing the world that we wouldn't otherwise have. Totally. It makes me think of altered states or even like psychedelics. Like you get in touch with something that is right there, mm -hmm. but in a different state of mind, you know, it looks and feels different and we gain access. So one of the books I've been reading lately, Brilliant Imperfection, Grappling with Cure by Eli Clare, what you said was, kind of getting them back to how they used to be. And I love that you said that because the notion here is just what you were talking about, like coming to accept something you might not have chosen, coming to accept that, and then finding peace and being where you are and the advantages, and then being open to what's going to happen in the future. It's not necessarily about getting back to where you were. It's about growing from where you are today. And I think that that's actually really beautiful. And so the disability justice folks talk a lot about kind of the medical industrial complex and, you know, creating cure and like, like too much of a focus on cure. And I have found that useful. And I think a lot of people with new chronic illnesses are going to have to go through their own process of like, how do I adjust to this? And I'm saying chronic, I'm afraid people are like, oh no, am I going to have this forever? <laughs> right, right. We don't want to imply that. But no. it definitely is not a quick one. And some of the stuff they do know about ME-CFS is that it can be years. This is different necessarily from long COVID with post-exertional malaise. Is that the same thing? Hard to tell. But 
with the ME in the ME community, it can last for many, many years. And this is part of why it matters and it's affecting people. And we really want you to get the attention that you deserve and you to get funding for the research that needs to happen on this and for you to be taken seriously by your medical doctors. That's our message. And for you to take yourself seriously, to insist on to being taken yourself. seriously. That's right. Right. I that's think that's right. like to, to say and to also slow down for all of us and to kind of go, oh, what is it that we in this experience as we accept it and we also work on being our best selves with it. Part of that is just like, oh, what am I, what are the opportunities that are being offered and not just seeing everything through the cure model? Like what is here for me right now as I experience, what am I experiencing? And we all need to learn from that, no matter what we're experiencing in our world, to be able to slow down and go, we are here right now in this moment, whether it's what we're experiencing or somebody we love and learning to do that just really exponentially adds to connection and care. Secure relating. Yeah. It's like being with somebody rather than that tempting to, oh, let me tell you about the doctor that I have. We're missing the moment of just being there with that person, which is what we know also is the most healing for us together. Right. And and when you're the person that's down and you can feel somebody wanting to help so much, at least I think for many of us that have been socialized to be caretakers, then we start taking care of them, right? Like, oh no, I'm fine. And oh, I'm much better today than I was yesterday. Right. Then now, now not only am I sick, but my, the person who's trying to take care of me, I'm taking care of. (laughs) Right. I'm having to like assure them rather than just be with them. But don't put that labor on these folks. That's really, really a good point. By the way, I know we're covering a lot, but in our show notes for today's episode, we'll put a lot of the resources and references, including some support groups and things like that for you to be able to access. And if you appreciate this content, please jump on wherever you're getting your podcast and leave us a rating and review so other people can find us. Thanks for listening and we'll see you around the bit. Therapist Uncensored is Ann Kelly and Sue Marriott. This podcast is edited by Jack Anderson. 